0: Our topic this week is a very crucial one in light of the events taking place in Israel right now. And we're gonna look at the very last days. We're gonna see where this, 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 these events of these past few weeks are prophesied right in the Bible. We're gonna see the text where exactly what is happening. I wouldn't say what you're reading in the news because a lot of what you're reading in the news is a lot of fake stuff. But, but uh, what reality is happening on the ground Is revealed 3,500 years ago in the prophecies of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11 in particular. The final conflict, Daniel 11, 2023 update, because we already preached this in the past, uh, and so now we just, the more current events have just added to what we have already interpreted. The final war between Islam, Israel, and Christianity. And that is what we are experiencing right now. We are in the midst of the final war for Earth's history. And it is between Islam, Israel, and Christianity. And we're going to see that right out of Daniel chapter 11. Now, I got a lot of this information from a friend of mine, Tim Rosenberg. He wrote a book in 2010 called Islam and Christianity. And in that book, he was interpreting Daniel 11. He's not a prophet, not a prophet, but uh, interpreting the prophet Daniel. He was outlining the last six verses of Daniel 11, and then just a few years after that, as we'll be looking at tonight, the events of this final war started taking place. So he saw it, interpreted it beforehand. So it's not reading the newspapers and then looking in the Bible and trying to come up with some explanation, but he read the Bible, based it on biblical interpretations, as we'll be looking at, and then came to the conclusion. And then a few years later, it came to pass. I tease uh, I tease him that uh, he gets paid. He goes around the country and around the world uh, teaching this seminar, and I tease him that he gets paid to preach six verses out of the Bible. Basically what he does is the last six verses out of Daniel chapter 11. But he does really the whole Bible, and as you'll see tonight, we're going to cover quite a bit. But he does even more, as he does a whole seminar on it. Okay, so let's get into it. So Daniel chapter 11, is, is, is Tim's interpretation, as well as my own, is based not on just chapter 11, but Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, and everything building up to chapter 11. And to properly understand chapter 11, you have to properly understand Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9. And 10, 11 and 12. And so in Daniel 2, we got this statue. In Daniel 7, we got these beasts. In Daniel 8, you got a ram and a goat and then a horn. And all of those go from the time of Daniel to the very end of time. Each one of them takes us from Daniel's time all the way to the end with no break, right? Could you imagine a statue that had a break in it and part of it is elevated, right? You ever go to a museum and see a statue there just kind of floating in the air and the bottom of the statue just on the ground and it's just, they're floating? I mean, maybe maybe in a sci-fi museum or something like that, but not, but not a museum that has uh, sculptures and, and, and statues or anything. There's no gap. It's a continuous prophecy from Daniel's day to our day. and We're going to see that in Daniel 11, but again, it's based on not on newspapers, not on current events, but based on the continual interpretation of Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, which just cover the same time period over and over again in different ways, expanding on each one, and getting more and more deeper. Reviewing and expanding is the principle. And uh, both Tim and myself have been preaching Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9 in the same way as we're going to look at Daniel 11 tonight for the last 40 or so years, nothing has changed no matter what the newspapers say, because the newspapers are just confirming what we've been reading and teaching uh, and interpreting all that time. So just these last six verses come more into focus right now, in this day and age. So Daniel chapter 11, in contrast to Daniel 2, which has a lot of symbolism, metals representing different kingdoms, Daniel 7, strange animals, lions with eagles' wings, uh, representing uh, different kingdoms. Um, uh, a leopard with four heads and four wings. We're going to look at that specifically uh, in review. And then, uh, and then Daniel 8, a, uh, a goat with a, a notable horn first, and then becomes four horns. Uh, and so those are all symbols, right? A lot of symbolism in Daniel. And Revelation, Revelation's all symbolism. Anyone who tries to make Daniel a, a Revelation literal will misunderstand it. Because it's not literal, it's almost all symbolic symbolism, and then you can interpret the symbolism based on the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible gives us the keys for interpreting it. In contrast to all these other chapters of Daniel and all of Revelation, Daniel chapter 11 is very, very literal. It makes it very unique and very amazing. And rightly, overlapping with these other chapters makes it very easy to interpret. So let's look at it in Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. In the first year of Darius the Mede, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall stir up all against Greece. A mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity. Very plain words, right? No beasts, no animals, no metals. Very just clear words. It's gonna be three more kings, and he's going to go against Greece. So mentioning a specific kingdom, so Medo-Persia is going to go against Greece, and then the Greek king, the Greek king, he's going to be ruled with great dominion. That's describing Alexander the Great. He even uses the word there with great dominion. Alexander the Great, right? The first great king of Greece, where it came to its major power, and then he dies at a young age. And it's not given, the kingdom is not given to his posterity. It's not given to uh, Alexander Jr. It's divided among his four generals, just as prophesied, overlapping with Daniel chapter 7, the, uh, the, the leopard with four heads, and the Daniel 8, the goat with four horns. That's what it's talking about. So it's all matching right up. So it goes to the four winds of heaven, four directions, four things, uh, but not among his posterity. Very literal, very simple to understand. We're understanding history. So starting at Daniel's day, medo Day, then followed by Greece. And here is a map of the four divisions, the four colors. you got green, orange, yellow, and blue. It's the yellow and blue that come more into focus in Bible prophecy. The other two kind of forgotten for a time. And you have the king of the north, so the Seleucids, and the king of the south down in the Egypt area. And so the four divisions that Greece divided up into. And these two... The yellow and the blue, king of the north, king of the south, right in between the two, is who? Israel. And then throughout the Greek kingdom, throughout that time, Maccabee's story takes place during that time and various different things, they're constantly fighting to expand their kingdom, and Israel is stuck right in the middle. So the king of the north gains some territory sometimes, fights through, comes through, battleground right over Israel, and then the King of the South fights back and back and forth and back and forth, and Israel is constantly getting trampled on throughout that time. And doesn't have any freedoms of its own, sometimes under the King of the North, sometimes under the King of the South, under their rulership, depending on, again, who's winning at that time. And that lasted for a few hundred years. So that's this division of this King of the North, King of the South. And throughout the rest of Daniel, Chapter 11, it's describing these kings of the north and king of the south. And this is how we see it. And it just continues with this theme. Now, there's neither a good side on that. The king of the north is not good here originally, nor continuing on, nor the king of the south. The place to be is stuck in the middle. And that's where Israel was. That's where we want to be. Not siding politically or religiously with any one political group. Aligning with God and His Word. And when we do that, we're right in the middle. Just like Yeshua was killed, right in the middle, right? And two thieves on either side. One thankfully gave his heart to the Lord. But right in the middle. And when we're right in the middle, describing both sides and how they're both evil or wrong or whatever or even just what they are, we will get condemned being in the middle, right? Both sides will shoot at us claiming we're on the other side, but to be in the middle and stay in the middle, and that's where Israel was, and that's where we want to be. So Rome eventually comes in, the next kingdom, the Iron Kingdom in the statue, the next kingdom that comes, and Rome then occupies the entire Mediterranean region, controls it all, and so for a time is the King of the North and the King of the South, ruling over it all, and through this time, Uh, In Daniel chapter 11, Cleopatra is is prophesied from Daniel's day and brought out, uh, again, a lot of highlights, and we're not going to cover it all. Uh, I preached this sermon before in a three-part series, Daniel 11, part 1, Daniel 11, part 2, and you can see those on shalomadventure.com, and Daniel 11, part 3. That's what we're doing tonight with a review and just some uh, added events taking place. So you can get the fuller pictures of the first part and second part of Daniel chapter 11, again on shalomadventure.com, and see where Cleopatra is mentioned and other things. So it continues on to Daniel 11, verse 20. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. Now, what does that mean? It means, there shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes On the glorious kingdom. That's what it means. Daniel 11 is not very hard. It's not again a lion with eagle's wings. What's the interpretation? It's very simple. It says what it means. There's going to arise another king in his place. From the king of the north. And he will impose taxes on the glorious kingdom. What's the glorious kingdom? On Israel. Then we go to Luke chapter 2 verse 1. A decree from Caesar Augustus. That all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was made by Cyrus, the governor of Syria. Joseph went from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And that's exactly what Daniel was prophesying hundreds of years in advance. In chapter 11, verse 20, that there would come, a king, who would impose taxes in the glorious kingdom. And then we see it matches right up with the birth of Yeshua. The very next verse in Daniel chapter 11, verse 21, And in his place, a vile person shall arise. Or shall arise a vile person. What does that mean? After Caesar Augustus, a vile person will arise in his place. That's all it means. And that's exactly what happened in the 15th year. According to Luke chapter 3, verse 4, in the 15th year of his reign of Tiberius Caesar. And then we have during the time of Pontius Pilate, during the time of Herod. Uh, And so it gives us the time period when John is out in the wilderness. So we go from Yeshua's birth to Yeshua's immersion. Very next verse in Daniel chapter 11, verse 22. With a force of a flood, they shall be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. Who is the prince of the covenant? Yeshua is the prince of the covenant. He's the prince of peace. He is the covenant keeper. He is the keeper of God's promises and God's prophecies, right? He is God's uh, promise keeper. The ultimate promise keeper. And so the next verse talks about him being broken. Was he broken? Yeah, Daniel 9 tells us he will be broken in the midst of the week. He was broken. He was cut off in the midst of the week. After three and a half years from his immersion to his death, it fits perfectly. And so verses 20, 21, 22 describe his birth, his immersion, and his death. Amazing. Right there in Daniel 11, hundreds of years in advance. Clear wording, clear as day. Yeshua there as the center. And then eventually Rome breaks up into several pieces and then gets replaced by, you see this map, and I didn't make this map, right? It's just a historical map. So the orange part on top, remember Rome had all of the Mediterranean. Now by this time, we're about a thousand years AD, at this time the orange part listed on this map, I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, it's called the Holy Roman Empire. So it's still the Roman Empire, but now it's the Holy Roman Empire. In Daniel chapter 2 you had this statue, the legs of iron representing Rome, and then it goes right into feet, which are also still iron. It's iron mixed with clay, but it's still iron. And so the Roman Empire continues In a little bit of a changed form, it went from a pagan form to a papal form, but it's just a continuation of really the same deal. Even maps keeping the same name, just adding holy onto it, the holy Roman Empire. So again, no break in the statue, no break, no gaps, just a continuation of God's prophecy, God outlying for us the history of his interaction with humanity. That's what the Bible's about. And so there'd be no gap in that, so there's no gap in the prophecies. So who's now ruling over the south? We have the king of the north. Who's ruling over the south? Who's the green in the south? By the year 1000 or so AD. Islam. Islam comes up. Islam rises very quickly. And rises and conquers all this area, starting in Saudi Arabia area. And who again is in the middle? Between the orange and the green? Israel. Israel. And so once again, you've got the king of the north and king of the south. And for hundreds of years, these two groups battle it out for the conquest of Jerusalem, for the rulership of Jerusalem. And so these bloody wars take place, these crusades take place. Nine or so of them, and three of them in particular, are mentioned in Daniel chapter 11. We don't have time to get into all of them. So we have this battle taking place, and this leads us now to these last-day battles that are continuing. This is what we have to understand. What's happening right now, it's a continuation of these battles that began between apostate Christianity and Quran-based Islam. So it's interesting between the two, one group is not following their book, and thus they are what they are, the other group are following their book. Thus, they are what they are. <laughs> and they battle it out for world dominion. Now, just a quick current newspaper showing this. Muslims and young leftists march on UCLA campus chanting, Infita, Infita, a bloody uprising against Israelites from October 13th this month, this year, so just a, a week ago. So who's uniting with this King of the South? Islam? The Muslims and young leftists. So you have these atheists uniting with Islam. That's a strange bedfellow. They're marching together. Young leftists, they support homosexuality. And what does Islam think of homosexuality? They take them and throw them off buildings. What are these guys doing marching together in solidarity together? They really have nothing in common other than a hatred towards Israel and a hatred towards America and the Constitution and the freedoms that we have. So we're going to see here now this King of the North and the King of the South end up having very interesting, strange bedfellows in their conquest to rule the world. And so they get these allies in order to conquer the other, the King of the South has some allies in order to conquer the King of the North. King of the North gains some allies to conquer the King of the South. But once they achieve achieve their goal of conquering the other major one, what would they do? Terminate their allies who, who aligned with them. So neither side is good. Neither King of the North is good. Neither King of the South is good. And history plays this out, that's exactly what they've done down through the ages. So back to Daniel 11, verse 25. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. So who's attacking who? He shall stir up his power with his courage against the king of the south with a great army. Who's Fighting who? Who's who's attacking who? The King of the North is attacking the King of the South, right? Again, these are the two players. King of the North, King of the South. So the King of the North here is one of the Crusades going and attacking the King of the South. And again, we don't have time to get into this particular verse and its details of it. Now when the King of the North... uh, Well, we'll get into that a little bit. So the King of the North... And again, this is very formidable. I mean, have you met this guy on the street coming at you? with A sword like that, a shield like that, and a cross, of course, on him? And they go and they go to these Jews and bow down to my cross, or I'm going to cut off your head. And even if he did, he cut off his head anyway. He'd armor all over, very hard. The battle against. First 11, chapter Daniel chapter 11, verse 29. At the appointed time he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. Ships from Cyprus shall come against him therefore he shall be grieved." Okay, so who's attacking who again? King of the North is attacking the King of the South, right? He returns and he goes towards the South. So this is the King of the North leading this particular battle again against the King of the South, but it shall not be like the latter or the former, or the former or the latter, ships from Cyprus. So what type of battle is this? A naval battle. Very good. A naval battle. Maritime battle, right? So again, very, very plain words, very clear words, very simple words. Tells us even locations from Cyprus, ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Right? So the king of the north is coming, but then ships from Cyprus come against him. And therefore he shall be grieved. This is describing, okay, so here now is a, a place at, uh, in the Vatican, a room in the Vatican. Huge, huge ceilings, huge, huge room, right? and you get all the cardinals or bishops, whatever there, and their various different color hats, and I guess that's how they choose what team they're on or what, what, whatever their position is. There's the Pope in the middle, and now you see these paintings along it? We're going to zoom in on some of these paintings that describe this very verse in Daniel chapter 11. I think verse 30, we're at. Okay, so here again from the Pope's end, and again, a bunch of cardinals, bishops, or whatever they are. Huge paintings, right? So if those people are, let's say, five and a half feet tall or whatever, how big are those paintings? Huge, that's a good description. that's a good number, right? They are huge, right? They are huge, huge, huge paintings. And then we're gonna focus on this middle painting between the two doors there, right? So you got like three paintings on that wall, three big paintings anyway. The middle, big, huge painting is what we're gonna zoom in on. And there it is. And it is a naval battle. And it's describing this very naval battle when Rome sent its armies, the Holy Roman Empire, sent its navy to go and conquer Jerusalem, go down to Israel and conquer Jerusalem. And on the way, they get met by a bunch of ships that came out of Cyprus. And meet them in the middle, in Lepanto, I think it's called. and uh, And so they don't get to they never make it to Israel. They never make it to Jerusalem to, con- to, to fight there and conquer it. And they end up in this horrible, bloody battle. They win the naval battle, but they don't get to Jerusalem. They don't get to liberate Jerusalem, so they don't get to accomplish what they went out to do. Uh, and so they limp back home, but they want to claim a victory. So they tell everyone, we won, we won, we won. It's great, great, great. And so they make this big PR campaign, this big, huge painting, and put it in the Vatican, uh, saying, look, look, we won. When... They just barely got out alive. And you see in the painting these three people here on the bottom left, uh, that's uh, Rome, Spain, and Venice joining together. And these interesting bedfellows coming together. And they got naked baby angels crowning them. And then on the other side you got the Muslims that are defeated with the, with the skeleton and these other naked baby angels uh, tormenting them. And so that's the describing the battle. And here's, a, again, a, a picture of it. So now we're about, uh, according to this uh, map, about the 1500s. And there's uh, Lepanto, the red dot in the middle. And so you see that Islam has gained a bunch of territory over those last 500 years, uh, up into the now called the Ottoman Empire. Uh, the tannish color, this particular map, still calls it the Holy Roman Empire. Historically, that's how it's been known. still Roman Empire. But now the Holy Roman Empire. Verse 30, Daniel chapter 11, verse 30, continuing on, right? The ships from Cyprus shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So he likes those who are forsaken the Holy Covenant, he doesn't like those who are holding to God's Word. And so he comes back, he didn't win the battle like he He won the battle, I guess, didn't win the war like he wanted to, Uh, so he comes back, he's unhappy, they come back, they kick the cat, right? So they come back in rage, is what Daniel is saying, and do damage. Again, very literal, and exactly as it says, they came back, and since they couldn't wipe out the Muslims like they wanted to, they find some other, group to taunt. So we go down the wall, right, so still within that room in the Vatican, we go to the, another painting down the, down the wall, and this painting is depicting, you know, if you see up in the top, there's a naked guy being thrown out of a window, still got the bed sheet around him, he's getting killed in the middle of the night, they got torches lighting up. Uh, and then down here in the bottom, you got old women, old men, civilians. Uh, with no weapons, getting killed and beaten and, and stabbed to death. That's describing the Bartholomew Massacre, where 70,000 Huguenots in France were slaughtered within a few days. The Huguenots were Protestants, so the Holy Roman Empire didn't like them, and went and slaughtered them. against civilians overnight, 70,000. And they made a big painting about it and put it in the Vatican. And you'll notice also a statue there, a naked guy there. So here is that room at the Vatican. Now they're wearing green for whatever reason. There's the pope in the corner. And you see on the left, that's the maritime, the corner of the maritime painting. We go down the wall, and then right behind the pope is the painting we were just looking at, where they're slaughtering the Huguenots. This is from the Tudor Society. Pope Gregory XIII ordered a joint celebration for the defeat of the Ottoman troops at the Battle of Lepanto, that's the naval battle, and for the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of the Huguenots in France. And they made a coin with the pope on one side and the battle of killing the Huguenots, I believe, or the Muslims there. on the coin, and made a celebration of it. We fought against the Islam, and we tarred them, and then we came back, and we killed all the Huguenots or whatever, killed a bunch of Huguenots, 70,000 Huguenots. let's celebrate these two events together, pairing them together, isn't that amazing? We read in one verse, in Daniel chapter 11, written over a 1,000 years, maybe 2,000 years in advance, where God inspired Daniel to put those two events in one verse. And here, they take those two events and put it on one coin. Take those two events and put them on one wall in the Vatican. They can't make that stuff up. I mean, how amazing is that? God thought that these two battles, this was so significant that he put it in the prophecy They thought it was so significant, they made a coin out of it, they they thought it was so significant, they made a holiday out of it, they thought it was so significant, they made huge paintings of it and put it in the Vatican. Now again, that's not our topic for tonight. I'm just showing you, we're just tracking along in history how Daniel 11 works. But history's repeating it, going to repeat itself. And so back in that room, uh, here again, the Pope is in the middle, this time he's got diplomats there. And in the news article, it said, the Pope asked diplomats to seek peace. I don't remember what was going on at that time, but again, he gathered them all in this room, and he said, I'm the man of peace, let's call for peace, let's everyone work towards peace, ceasefires, whatever. Well, that sounds nice. How about let's start by taking down the paintings on the wall behind you, where you're killing civilians and glorifying war. How about that, right? That's a good place to start. So this man of peace deal is a big facade. Not reality. And then in this room, again, this room is occupied mostly by—no, not mostly. There are diplomats in this picture, but most of the time by bishops, cardinals, popes, priests. What do they all have in common? They're men, and they are. People. They're only Catholic. They're Catholic. They are. They're not all evil, you can't describe everyone, whatever. But, but what, are they, what do they all have in common? They're celibate. Right? They're supposed to be celibate anyway, right? What do they have in this room? Statues of naked men in weird positions. I don't know why, and that's a, that has nothing to do with our prophecy or our topic here tonight, but just a little aside, while we were in the room, I thought I'd point that out. <laughs> why on earth would you bring all of these unmarried men into a room and have statues of naked men in there? I have no idea. What? <laughs> Kind of strange, right? Anyway, back to Daniel 11. Verse 32. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. They shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by the sword, by the flame, by captivity and plundering. Right, so after the 1500s, What's taking place? We're just following this timeline. Daniel 11 is basically just a timeline from Daniel's day to the end of time. What's happening in that timeline? The Reformation! The Reformation right. And Jewish groups that are instructing, holding to God's word, continuing to teach God's word. Right? And the Reformation, they're going forth and they're doing great exploits. They know their are God. They're strong in God. They're strong in the word of God. And they're holding fast to the word of God. Waldensians up in the mountains keeping the Sabbath, Jews are keeping the Sabbath, they're holding to the covenant, they're instructing many, they're teaching many, even at the risk of their lives at death, Waldensians would write little scripture verses and and, and sew it into their kids' uh, clothing and send them down into the villages to try and find someone who'd be open that they rip open their shirt and give them a Bible verse. They instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by the sword, by the flame, our Protestant reformers put on the stakes and burned alive. Jews forced into the synagogues and then burned alive. By who? By the Holy Roman Empire. By captivity and by plundering, taking their goods. Again, God is outlining the history for us. Because history will repeat itself, and so that we can know the time. That were at hand. And then America is mentioned in prophecy, not by name, because it's in Revelation. Revelation is again symbolism. Revelation 12, verse 13, uh, Revelation 12 and Revelation 13, portions of both those chapters, not the whole chapters. So America comes onto the scene, and I did a whole sermon series on that. And you can go to again, shalomadventure.com, and in our own search engine, not in some global Oogler search engine, but write it into our search engine at com, and you can type in America, and it'll bring up uh, these sermons for you, where America falls in Bible prophecy. And so then, down back to Islam. So now we come to 1946, just before Israel becomes a nation. And this gives a list of 15 highest number religions. Judaism. Reform Judaism was the highest, about two million. This is right after the Holocaust. So it was much higher before, obviously, but uh, about two million. Conservatives, about a million and a half. Orthodox Judaism, uh, under a million. Shii Islam is this green block there, about twenty million. Islam, Sunni Islam, about forty nine million. Pretty small. You combine those two together, you got seventy million. Under 70 million. What, 68 million? Look at Catholicism. And even again in this chart. And I didn't make this chart. Christian Roman Catholics. Rome is still there. The iron is still there. Huge, huge number, right? The biggest. Then Hindus, then Protestants. Christian Protestants are number three. Right? So that's your top three. And then the fourth one, Christian Eastern Orthodox. So Islam was very small 70 years ago. Nothing, nothing. What, well, like 10th and 12th on the chart there, or 9th and 11th, or something like that? Very down, low down on the chart, very small. Now, there's a great video of that, and again, you can go to slumadventure.com, and we have a video where it takes this and tracks it year by year, and you see the numbers all do 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 do, do and the lines going all the different places, and, and, and groups rising and, and, and falling. But by the end, we get to 2019, this, this was done a few years ago. Look who's on top. Sunni Islam. Big time. Big time. You add that together with the other green one, Shi'i Islam, you combine those two together, and it's about the same or almost more, and again, this was four years ago, and so now it's even more. numbers have just increased in their favor. More than Catholics and Protestants combined. So, back 70 years ago, it would have been very easy to take the Gospel to the world. It would have been very easy to take the Bible and teach the Bible around the world. Very easy. Today, everything's upside down. And so now with their numbers, they've become very bold. Because so now some definitions as we get to these last few verses. Papacy is ruled by a Pope who claims global geopolitical power and global religious power. So, it's a church state. A caliphate is ruled by a caliph who claims global geopolitical power and global religious power. You see how these two sides will conflict? Both are wanting global power. Both are governments, political forms, and both are religious forms combined together. And thus they both want world dominance for their political views and their religious views. And you can only have one who's on top. And so they clash. And they've been clashing for the last 1,500 years for that very purpose. And that's really what it's all about. Vatican is a government. It's a state. It's a country. It's a small country, but it's a country. And so you have these two political-religious groups fighting it out. That's what we're in the midst of. The Quran, following Islamists, want to bring about a global caliphate by force in Al-Quds. And we're going to come back to Al-Quds in a little bit. But that's their term for the city of Jerusalem. And that includes the Muslim Brotherhood out of Egypt that has spread big time, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, Turkey, Iran, and other groups. So, them uniting together. And then you have moderate Islam, are those who are opposed to a caliphate by force in Jerusalem, and those include Saudi Arabia, um, those who have signed the Abrahamic Accords, uh, United Arab Emirates, Sudan, Moran, Morocco, and Oman. And They may switch sides back and forth, we'll see what happens, but right now today, That's kind of where it's at. And we'll see what the Bible, Daniel chapter 11, tells us about these groups. So back to Daniel chapter 11, down to our last six verses. Daniel 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. And this is where my friend Tim wrote this book four years prior to the news events we're going to be looking at. And he described this war. He interpreted this war based on this verse, and based on everything we've just seen. And again, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, and Revelation. So who's attacking who this time? At the end of, at the time of the end, the King of the South shall attack him. Who's attacking who? King of the South is attacking the King of the North. And the King of the North, shall come against him like a whirlwind, right? Another term for whirlwind, what are we call whirlwinds here in Florida, right? Tornadoes, right, like a tornado, and like a whirlwind coming at him. And so, uh, my friend Timmy interpreted that Islam is going to attack the King of the North. It's going to attack papal Christianity what he wrote in his book. Four years later, in July 2014, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the self-proclaimed leader of the Islamic State, stretching across Iraq and Syria, has vowed to lead the conquest of Rome, as he called on Muslims to immigrate, to fight under its banner around the globe. fighting around the globe, what do we call that? A world war. He was calling for a world war with the end goal, the conquest of Rome. So ISIS, while their initial stated purpose was to take over Israel, that's where they get their name from, but they he's saying, they also want to conquer Rome in the process. To his attack on Rome, king of the south, pushing against the king of the north, and who was Abu Bakr al Baghdadi? What happened to him? A few years later, Trump comes into power. Bang zoom, off to the moon he goes. Right, he gets out. Right. One month later, Francis, Pope Francis, calls for action after a sweeping advance by radical Islamic militants forced thousands of residents of Iraq's biggest Christian town to flee. His Holiness addressed the urgent appeal to international community to take action. The Zabu guy says, We're attacking Rome. We're declaring war, international war, by immigration, by migrating into these other countries. And causing a worldwide war and the conquest of Rome, one month later, Francis says, we need an international community to take action. Now, in the wars in the past, when the Holy Roman Empire was, when the Vatican, when the papacy was fighting wars, who did they use to do their wars? The kings, the other kings. The Spanish Inquisition. Who protects the Vatican? This this 50-acre or whatever size little kingdom. The Swiss. What are the Swiss doing in Italy? The Swiss near Italy. How do the Swiss end up guarding the Vatican? What's in Switzerland? Besides cheese, what's in Switzerland? The Swiss banks. The Swiss banks. And that's they're the ones guarding the Vatican. <laughs> So they use other armies to do their bidding, that's historical. So one day, after the Pope calls for the international community to deal with these Islamic groups that are going and forcing themselves and killing thousands of, of, uh, of uh, Christians, whom Obama called a JV team, you know, junior varsity team, a nothing, oh, don't worry about it, it's a little nothing, as they're going and slaughtering thousands of Christians. But then the Pope comes forth and calls for the international community. One day later, Obama says, America is coming to help. Very interesting, very interesting. So again, we see these alliances, taking place. And now America is drawn into this war against ISIS. A few days later, with the Vatican's approval for a rare exception to their peace policy, except for the whole dark mages and whole thousands of years of warring history, they're calling for military action because Islamics have forced a policy change. What did it say at Daniel 11, verse 40? The king of the south will come against. So, who's attacking who? Islam attacking the king of the north against apostate Christianity, right? Force. The Islamics have forced us, they've attacked us, and so we need to respond. That's exactly what Daniel wrote thousands of years in advance, and Tim interpreted. Just a few years in advance. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what we're still living through now. So then there's this guy, Jahadi John. Anyone remember Jahadi John, right? We're old enough, everyone's here old enough to remember ten years ago, right? <laughs> nine years ago. <laughs> Jahadi John. Why was he called Jahadi John and not Jahani Muhammad? What was unique about him that he was Jahadi John? He was always massive, no one ever got to see his face, but he would talk into the camera. He was Britain. He had this strong British accent, right? Which is kind of so out of place. You know, you think of the typical, you know, Arabs, you know, going and cutting off people's heads. But here's this British guy, uh, just as part of ISIS, cutting off people's heads. And so there he is. And Obama's saying, we're going to get them. Their deaths will not go unpunished as he's slaughtering people and cutting off, again, these, these people's heads. So what does Jihadi John saying? To Obama, the dog of Rome. And we call him the dog of Rome. Who, according to Jahadi John, is in charge? Rome. So Jahadi John is basically interpreting Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, or history, or reality. And he says, Rome is the one who's calling the shots. Rome is in charge, and America is just doing its bidding. Obama is the dog of Rome. And he's calling this the last crusade. And thus Jahadi John understood Daniel 11 verse 40 better than most Bible scholars. (laughs) He understood this is the last crusade. This is the last battle for Earth's history. And we're living in it. What happens to Jihadi John? Bang, zoom, off to the moon he goes as well. About a year later, Pope Francis wants to be president of the world. According to this, I don't know what to call it, Puffington Compost, uh, says, Pope, uh, so shrewdly, methodically, and with a showman's flair, the soft spoken 78 year old Argentinian Jesuit priest named Pope Francis showed Thursday that he is running to become president of the planet. What we tell you the papal ambition? To be the global, geopolitical, religious leader of the world. And the world sees that, and the world identified it that way. In a different way than we see it, (laughs) but they think it's great. Oh, he's a 78-year-old. You know, really, that means I still got 20 years to be able to rule the world. I say, hey, I'm in good shape. So I think I can do that. (laughs) Possible. Yeah, he's ready to rule the world, become president of the planet. Mass migration crisis, right? So this so called Arab Spring thing, and Obama and the rest of the world allow all these Islamics from the South, the king of the South kingdom. To immigrate all throughout the world, and to take over parts of Europe, into the United States, and all over the place. Just as Abu Badi, whatever, told them to do. And here in this article, calls them, the global north must be prepared that the global south is on the move. The entire global south. This is not just a problem for Europe, but for the whole world. They understood it as a global battle, a global issue. And interesting how they call it. The global north and the global south. What had Daniel been calling it for the last 2,000 years? King of the north and the king of the south. I mean, is that amazing? It's like this guy read the Bible, and I'm sure he didn't. What is like it did, or Gal, I don't know. you know. Global North and Global South. Now when i saying Global South, it's not talking about Antarctic. It's not talking about South America. It's not talking about uh, South Africa. It's talking about Islam, right? Who is migrating? Who is migrating into Islam? So he's calling the Global South Islam. And we're going to see the Global South pairs up with Russia, China. So it's not just South, but it's what's called Global South. And against the Global North, and Global North is not just the North. There are plenty of countries under the equator that are part of the Global North, according to the world's definition of Global North and Global South. And we'll see that the same with Bible prophecy as well. But the main players are what it was, King of the North, the Holy Roman Empire, and the King of the South, Islam pairing up with atheism and other things, but that's the main characters. 2016, before the election, Hannity has a town hall with Trump, and I wish I could impersonate Trump. (laughs) But he says, the point is that they, radical Islam, want to do serious harm. We have to take them out. We have to take them out. We have to very, very, very swiftly and viciously Uh, take them out. Very, very swiftly and viciously. What does that sound like to you? Very, very swiftly? Think Daniel 11, verse 40. What does it say? Hey, you guys. The king of the south shall attack the king of the north and the king of the north shall whirlwind. whirlwind. Come at him like a whirlwind. It's almost like Donald Trump was reading the Bible, which we know he doesn't read. Right? So like, you know, two Corinthians or whatever. Right? But um, shall come against him. They will come against him very, very swiftly and viciously, like a whirlwind, and destroy this brand of jihadi. And Trump uh, gets voted into presidency. And his inaugural address, he says, we will unite the civilized world against radical Islamic terrorism, which we will eradicate completely from the face of the earth. What's he talking about? Civ- the entire civilized world? eradicately, completely, world war. Okay? From around the world, we're going to eradicate it. The whole civilized world against the whole radical Islam. And again, radical Islam... Are those who follow the Quran. That's simple. So, then within a year's time, well, okay, before we get there and just going in timeline. Uh, so, in November 2017, the ISIS group releases images of the beheaded Pope Francis. Now, they didn't actually do it, but they're showing pictures that this is their plan, this is their goal to behead Pope Francis. So, again, Who's the war against? Who is Islam wanting to fight? Islam, uh, ISIS wanting to fight? Against Rome. Even though Jihadi jihad is already dead, they're still saying that in 2017, three years into this war. Trump recognized that a month later in December 2017, Trump recognizes Jerusalem as Israel's capital. A Palestinian envoy said the Trump decision was a declaration of war in the Middle East. Pope Francis called for Jerusalem status quo to be respected, saying new tensions would further inflame world conflicts. You guys see this as a whole world conflict, all of them, and war. Now, nothing of course happened right after that, thankfully, for the most part. A few days later, Soleimani, the commander of the Al-Quds force from Iran, said his nation is ready to support the Palestinian forces and, da, 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 and take back Jerusalem. So, to attack Rome and Jerusalem. Now, it's called the al Force. Why is the Iranian military, or portion of it, called the al Force? What again did we learn earlier? What is Al-Quds? Jerusalem. It's their name for Jerusalem. Now, if you lived in, let's say, whatever, North Dakota, would you call your sports team The Orlando Bulldogs. So why is an Iranian army called the Al-Quds Force? Why not the Tehran Force? Why not the Iranian Force? Why Al-Quds Force? What's their goal? Jerusalem. And that's what they're stating. We're going to go and we're going to take Jerusalem. That's their target as well as wipe out Rome in the process. And what happened? So then Suleimani posted this picture, I guess on a Facebook or whatever this is. And so there's Suleimani, and behind him is the White House and they're blowing up the White House and, the, and the, the US flag is falling off the White House and second floor room is getting blown out. That's where Trump's bedroom was. And so here's Suleimani. we're gonna blow up the White House, we're gonna take out Trump, right? And what happened to Soleimani? Bang! Zoom! Right to the room, right? Trump took him out, right? Talked about it just this past week, as a matter of fact. Like a whirlwind, viciously, very, very swiftly. In December 2017, the defeat of ISIS is rapidly accelerating during President Trump's first year in office. What Obama called a JV team and took years to do nothing with, and and ISIS is gaining, gaining, and, and conquering uh, U.S. bases, and then driving around in U.S. Uh, Humvees and and with U.S. equipment, and Trump comes in and within less than a year, greatly reduces their forces, takes out their leader, and accelerates very, very rapidly. What does that sound like? Whirlwind! Again, these these. <laughs> <laughs> Secularist writers describing what Daniel 11, verse 40 told us. We are living right between Daniel 11, verse 40, and Daniel 11, verse 41. And again, friend Tim interpreted that beforehand, and this is taking place over this three-year period of time. And then we had a time of rest. We had a time of peace. They basically knocked out. And so we've had then about six years of peace. And while Trump is in office, we had 40 years of no new wars. I mean, four years of no new wars. I'll say that again. During Trump, we had four years of no new wars. And other, all, started wars ending. So we've had this time of peace. But Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, started there with ISIS. We've just had a little pause here. And now this Two weeks ago we saw it start back up. It actually goes back to 2001. What happened in 2001? Islam pushed against the North and attacked the World Trade Centers. And then we had a pause for a little while. God held back the winds of strife. Why? What does he, what the Bible say? He's holding back the winds of strife until or because? Until. God's people are sealed and so it was a kind of a little wake-up call God's people get ready get ready get ready and fulfilling we're at the very end of Daniel 11 we're almost at the end take the gospel to the world and we saw them everyone got all excited and then what do we do right after 9/11 nothing happened no, no continuous bombs right there was you know what would happen if if, if uh, every day for Months a, a mall blew up, a bus station blew up, a stadium blew up, a school blew up, a hospital blew up, and all these things taking place all around the world, we would have gone to world war. But miraculously, God said, no, 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 That was just a wake-up call. It was just a warning. I'm holding back the winds of strife because my people aren't ready yet. My people aren't getting serious yet. My people aren't taking my gospel to heart. They're not being transformed and not being Ready? The bride is not ready yet. The bride is still making her hair, and straightening her dress. And they're not without spot, not without wrinkle, not without blemish yet. And all the guests aren't here yet. They haven't invited everybody yet. And So he's holding it back. And we had a little break from 2001 to 2014. Then ISIS came on the move again. God. Wanted to draw our attention again, get us ready, get us excited, get us on fire, get us to take the gospel to the world, take life seriously, take the word of God seriously, take it to heart. And after there was peace again, what do we do? We rolled over on the other side and went back to sleep. And so now it started up again. That's what we're experiencing. Saudi Arabia coming into the picture, he calls this a triangle. In this triangle of Turkey-Iran Islamists, they are trying to promote the idea that our duty as Muslims is to re-establish the caliphate by force, that the glory of Islam is the building of an empire by force. According to the Saudi Arabia leader, he says, we have no duty anymore to fight to spread Islam. I believe the Palestinians and the Israelis have a right to, To have their own land. That was radical Islam. (laughs) That was a radical statement by an Islamist. To say we have no more burden to control the world by force. That goes against everything that Islam has been doing for the last 1600 years. This religion of peace, what a joke. Nothing but fighting, as the Bible predicted it would be, of Ishmael, his descendants. And that Israel should have its own land? Islam doesn't believe that. Wipe them out. You can't have peace with a group that wants to wipe you out. But now Saudi Arabia is saying, no, I think they have a right to their land. That was radical. That was in 2018. Also in 2018, Turkey president, because of some things that were taking place, he predicts basically a war between the Cross and the Crescent. Again, Global North, or King of the North, King of the South. The Pope, uh, in 2019, the Pope had an historic visit to the United Arab Emirates. What has changed in a brie- in in brief is the dual rise of the Muslim Brotherhood and the Islamic State, ISIS. The Emirates and Saudi Arabia have just bought themselves an institutional ally, the Papacy. So the Pope goes to United Arab Emirates, and they make a peace deal. And they bought themselves an ally. And what it mean that they bought an ally? doesn't mean that you bought something. You paid for it. <laughs> They pay. it's not an equal, okay. We'll make partners together and we'll shake hands and and we'll have mutual benefit to each other. You know they paid for it, according to this article. Again, the Swiss banks coming into play and 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 oil money coming into play. So they bought an ally. So now again, you have this global, this this king of the north, the papacy, and some Islamic com- countries joining with the King of the North. And we're going to see that right in Daniel chapter 11. It's exactly what it says. And then other alliances. Uh, this, this first article on your left, from 2020. Palestinians' unbreakable link with Black Lives Matter. It was described by some as American infida. What does that mean? What was taking place? What was Black Lives Matter doing in 2020? Burning America. burning America. Burning buildings, taking over government buildings, killing people. What is BLM? What is Black Lives Matter then? What would you call that? Someone burning buildings, a group burning buildings, killing people, taking bu- 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 uh, government buildings. I'm glad you said it. Yep. I don't dare say that. (laughs) You guys said that. And then this week on the right, the article on the right from October 10th, 2023 just a few days ago, Black Lives Matter group throws support behind a mass attacks calls murder of Israelis self-defense. 1,400 and more Civilians slaughtered in their beds, babies' heads cut off, and Black Lives Matter is in support of that? Again, very interesting bed feathers. They're uniting together. Only to serve a purpose for a time, and then the widow would kill the other. Okay, so back in our time period, back to 2022, this article calls it a red-green Access. The ties of China, Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Red green axis. What is the red? China, which represents? Red. Communism. Right, so Russia, China, right? So communism, and the green? Muslims, Islam. So a communist, atheist, Islamic axis taking place. So this king of the South, again, grabbing partners, Cuba, so it's not just again the South, it's not, so it's all over around the world, but the main player is still Islam as far as Bible prophecy is concerned. So it's not about Russia, it's not about China, it's not about all these other things. The key in Bible prophecy is Islam against the Holy Roman Empire. That's the bottom line. And its allies versus its allies. September 12, 2023, Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini marks the six billion gift he received from the United States on 9 11 speech celebrating America's demise. And just a month later, how is that six billion dollars used? To kill Israelis. Then September 14, 2023, growing number of people on U.S. terrorist watch list encountered at the border, U.S. border. So from 2017 what, or whatever, it said we read that article saying that, and 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 Abu whatever calling for migration around the world, they've been coming across the border in massive numbers, terrorists. Into the United States and other countries. And then Hamas attacked on Simkat Torah 2023, into families' homes to party, killing young teenagers, 20 year olds, babies, beheading them, burning them alive, slaughtering people, torturing people raping people, dismembering people, mutilating people, babies, elderly, taking them captive all ages. Who knows, God knows what's unbelievable what's happening to the captives. Horror taking place. That's where we're at. It started up again. The King of the South is still pushing against the King of the North. So we had a whirlwind, but it wasn't enough, didn't finish it off, And so we're still in this continuation. And even, as it says in this uh, article from Jewish National News, Israel troops find ISIS flag on Hamas terrorist body. So it's still, ISIS is still continuing basically. And then Israel went to the UN, and at the UN Israel put this on this big board. Hamas is... ISIS. Now, maybe not literally ISIS, but basically they're saying it's the same spirit. It's the same thing. The whole world gathered against ISIS in the past. We need the whole world to gather against Hamas because it's basically the same thing. And for the most part, it really is the same thing. So it is the same war. This is still the war of Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. The king of the south pushing against the king of the north. And that's where we're at right now. And then on October 7th, 2023, New York Socialists rallying for Palestinian Day after terrorists killed. At that time they numbered it at 200, now it's over 1,400, with over 3,000 injured and 200 hostages. And so again you've got now, again, this Socialists, Communists, Atheists uniting with Islamic terrorists. It's crazy, but that's exactly what's happening. And it's again exactly what the Bible prophesied, exactly how we've been interpreting it. <inaudible> Iran helped to plot on the attacks over the several weeks. So Iran is involved, so we got all these players involved. Uh, Russia and China refused to condemn Hamas. And then in this uh, article down the bottom on 10 16 23, just days ago, Russia supports Palestinian t- state with Jerusalem as its capital. Red green access. So you have the Islamist and communist, socialist, left wing, atheist, all coming together in all these various, various different countries, along with it. This is a global war we're in. This is World War III that we're in. Might not realize it yet, but we've already been in this world war. And then just yesterday or two days ago, 65 Berlin police injured. Police being injured, 65 of them. That must have been some uprising against them. Pro-Palestinian protest called to burn everything down. So in Germany, in San Francisco, a whole bunch of students walked out of school in support of Hamas. So little kids, various parts of this country, New York City, various places, they're demonstrating in support of this terrorist, murderous regime that will kill them in a second. So these are the players taking place. So here it is, the King of the North, is papal-led apostate Christianity with the U.S., but the U.S. kind of split because, again, you have these leftist groups and, and other groups, right, the atheistic groups siding with, that, with the king of the south. It's kind of a mixed bag there. But as far as the political echelon. they're saying they're with the king of the north. The EU, same thing. And then some Muslim countries, as we saw, joining with the king of the north. Now, again, there's no good guys here. King of the North is not good, King of the South is not good. King of the South is Koran-led Islam, with Russia, China, Communist, Socialist, and Atheism. Around the world. Now being in the middle, middle literally, is Israel and some Muslim countries. Spiritually, being in the middle spiritually, that's what we want to be, is God's people that are Jewish believers, Biblical Christians, and converted Muslims. And so you got these two wars, two groups, fighting it out, and we're stuck in the middle. And history will repeat itself all over again. So that's right between Daniel 1140, that's where we're at right now, and then coming on to verse 41. Now what will take place next could be a couple things. God can pause it again Things can quiet down. Israel can knock Hamas down to size or eliminate them, only to be replaced with some other group. And we'll have a time of peace for a while, but the war won't be over. And then the Islamics, at whatever time they feel they have enough power and strength to do it, will attack again. Or the King of the North will come as a whirlwind and wipe out In a world war, things will continue to spiral out of, and that's what they're wanting. See, Iran wants a world war. They want to keep poking the bear until the bear comes at them because they believe that they will win the world war. They believe that their uh, caliph, their, their, their version of the Messiah, is going to come and deliver them and conquer all of the rest of the world, including the other kind of Muslims that are not like them. So they're wanting a world war. That's what they're praying for, that's what they're wanting, that's what they're fighting for, that's what they're doing, and everything they do is to create a world war. Basically, the West is doing everything it can to try and keep a world war from happening, at least least, uh, on the surface. Enough wars to keep make money on, but enough to not lose their power. But Iran wants a war to end all wars, for keeps, for the whole thing. And so that's what's taking place. And so again, it might simmer down for a while, giving us another opportunity to get our lives serious with the Lord, perfect our character in God's Word and by the blood of the Lamb, so we can be without spot and without wrinkle, prepared for the Lord to come, and so that we can witness to the world without guile in our mouth, and then the end can come. Or... The world will continue, and we'll go into the next verse. And so, with that, let's go to the next verse. I think that's it. Yep, verse 41. He, king of the north, because in verse 40, 40, the king of the south gets wiped out with the whirlwind. That hasn't happened yet. We had a little whirlwind take place, and ISIS was wiped out for a while, but not all Islam. So, between verse 40 and verse 41, a world war will take place. Between the King of the South and the King of the North, the King of the North will whirlwind and wipe out, for the most part, the King of the South. And then the King of the North will enter the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. Now, as the King of the North is wiping out the King of the South, we may be tempted to root for him. Oh, yes, go, go, wipe out this Islamist terrorist, right? But we have to remember the history. That after they go and wipe out the Islam, they come back, and what do they do to the Huguenots? Wipe them out. And it'll be the same thing. It'll be a force, it'll be control, it'll be establishing of laws to do away with the Sabbath, just as they've done in the past, history repeating itself, and persecuting all those who don't believe and follow as they do, because it's a global, political, religious agenda. And that's what they will go towards. Even as they proclaim to be people of peace, the paintings on the wall tell us a different story. And the Bible tells us a different story. They will go and enter the glorious land. What's the glorious land? Israel. Now, the papacy owns a lot of property, in Israel already, so I don't know exactly what it means by enter the Glorious Land, but some type of event will take place where they are officially entering into the Glorious Land. Now in a couple of verses we're going to see maybe more what that means, but in some way, significant form, they're going to enter the Glorious Land. And many countries, other countries, will be overthrown. And again, that can be part of that whirlwind of wiping out the Islamics, or maybe the Islamics are already wiped out in verse 40, and maybe it's talking about other nations that don't come along with their agenda. Again, it's world dominance is the goal, because it's all satanic. That's Satan's goal. It's not human beings. It's not popes, and it's not cowlips, and it's not priests, and it's not uh, imams. That's the issue. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's the Satan inspiring and pushing these parties together and building up, thinking they're doing God's service as they're killing the people of God. Verse 41 But these shall escape from his hand Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. So some Muslim groups will escape the king of the north's hand, escape the mark of the beast. That's what the king of the north really parallels, it does parallel, the the, the beast. The first beast of Revelation 13 and other parts of the Bible. But these escape from his hand. Now it's interesting the three that Daniel mentions, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. All three of them are children of Terah, the father of Abraham. All three of them at one time were part of greater Israel during the time of King David and King Solomon. So predicting there, again, a reestablishing of the Davidic kingdom, in another sense, in a way. Spiritually, maybe, but, and then chapter 12, your people shall be delivered. And that word delivered is the same word that's used there in Hebrew for escape. So they get delivered, they don't get caught up in it, they end up in the middle, in other words. They leave Islamics, and they don't join the king of the north, they escape. Amos verse nine, chapter nine, verse eleven, I believe, describes this. I will raise up the tabernacle of David, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. So we have it right there. We have believing Jews, the tabernacle of David, converted Muslims, the remnant of Edom, and the Gentiles who are called by my name, believing Christians, covenant-keeping Christians, those who keep the commandments of God and have faith in Yeshua, as described in Revelation 12, 17. A remnant that Satan hates, that he goes out to make war against, because he knows his time is short. Back to Daniel 11, verse 42. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So again, the King of the North comes down and wipes out maybe literal Egypt, And so far, Daniel 11 has been very literal, so maybe literally takes out Egypt, takes whatever from there, Uh, or maybe just again talking about a portion of Islam that Egypt is representing. So they get wiped out. And then verse 43, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So we have Islam divided into three groups. We have those that escape, don't receive the mark of the beast, don't go along with the king of the north, leave Islam, become believers in the Bible and the the Messiah, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Daniel's people. We have those who do not escape, like Egypt, who get wiped out. And we have those who choose to follow, and join with the king of the north, represented in Daniel 11, Libya, and Ethiopians. That makes sense? Verse 44, But news from the east and the north shall trouble him, therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. So he's working on ruling the world, and then news from the east and the north trouble him. What did the north and the east represent in the Bible? Let's look at some Bible texts. Ezekiel 44, verse 4, He brought me to the way of the north gate, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Ezekiel 43, verse 1, He brought me to the gate that faces toward the east, and the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. And then in Revelation 7, 2, I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God. And Matthew 24, verse 27, for as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So news of the north and out of the east that God's people are being sealed, that God's people are getting their act together, that God's people are getting excited, that a revival and reformation is taking place, and they're going forth with great power and witnessing to the world, And taking the gospel to the world and proclaiming to the world, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. We're here right at the very end of time. We're right here at the very end of prophecy. Turn your life to the Lord. Get right with the Lord. And people are leaving the king of the north. People are leaving the king of the south. And they're giving their hearts to the Lord and getting serious with him and coming to the middle. And they don't like that news. And so like they did during the Protestant Reformation, during the Dark Ages, they go forth with great fury to destroy as many as possible. And in chapter 11, verse 45, the last verse in Daniel chapter 11, he, the king of the north, shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. So in some way, shape, or form, and again, I don't know exactly what that means, but in some way, shape, or form, the king of the north is going to plant his tents of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. What's the glorious holy mountain? Jerusalem. What's the city between the seas? Between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, what's the city in the middle of the three? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So in some way, shape or form, the papacy is going to enter into Israel, literally. It's been literal so far. And spiritually, I mean, it's already entered into the spiritual Israel, it's already entered into Christendom, right? It's already infested into Christianity as a whole, with its false teachings and false doctrines. But here it's talking literally. There'll be some type of manifestation. And plant is tense. Now this map is from 1947, the UN partition plan. This is what the UN originally planned, planned for Israel. When British pulled out, right? So British was ruling over the area not Palestinians. British were ruling over the area. And they planned on giving the blue areas, the desert areas, to the Jews, giving the orange areas, the bigger areas, the mountain areas, more fertile areas, to the Arabs. There were no Palestinians. Term for a people group was not invented until Arafat comes along. They were just Arabs living in this area, and then Jerusalem was to be an international city. I don't know if you can see it on your map. but it's A little pink thing, and it says there, international zone. So not for either group. And with a mayor from neither group. So not from Israel and not from the Arabs. What does that leave left? Who does that leave left? That was the original plan for the UN, but it got messed up, because the Jews said okay, and the Arabs said no way, and then there was a war. And so, I think that is still part of the plan, according to Daniel 11, verse 40, was it 1 and, and 45. Enter the glorious land, and to plant the tents in the, temp- in the mountain of God between the two seas. Now some people, you know, this is not, are not talking about Armageddon here, right? Because Armageddon is in Revelation. Revelation is a spiritual book. I right? said so this world war is not going to take place in Israel. Sorry to break that news to you. We'd like that maybe, some, a lot of people might like that, because it's way over there and it's not going to affect me, living here. But that's not what it's going to be. It's a global war. Armageddon is just symbolic of a global war. There's no way all the armies of the earth are going to fit in the Jezreel Valley. It's just not going to happen. Besides that, there's no such thing as Mountain of Megiddo. It doesn't exist. Nothing on the map, nothing on the land. There is no Mountain of Megiddo. It's all symbolic terms. You've got to understand Revelation that way. It's talking about a world war. And so it will take place in our yards. around the world. And then the very last part of Daniel 11, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Just like how Daniel 2 ends, takes us from the time of Daniel all the way to the end of time. The stone coming and destroying his statue. No, he is the king of the north. The king of the north shall come to his end and no one help him. Just like the stone coming and destroying the statue and all of it being destroyed. The second coming of Messiah. Just like Daniel chapter 7, the, the judgment scene against the beast power. Uh, just like Daniel chapter 8, uh, he comes to his end and gets destroyed. Kingdoms of this world get destroyed because the gospel goes to the world. God's people get sanctified, get, people get sealed. God's people get serious. God's people overcome sin by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they go forth with great power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the latter rain, taking God's word to every nation, tribe, kindred, and people, which upsets the king of the north who's then in power. And as he goes, it's a whirlwind. And the very next verse then tells us if we go to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, which takes us back a little bit into Daniel chapter 11, because first it was talking about the king of the north. Now it's going to talk about God's people. So the king of the north, he hears tidings out of the east and tidings out of the north. He sees God's people on the move, God's people people giving their hearts to the Lord. Coming out of Babylon, come out of Babylon, my people. People are leaving Babylon. They're giving their hearts to the Lord. They're refusing the mark of the beast. Proclaiming the second coming of the Lord. And he goes forth and a time of trouble takes place for God's people. Such as never been seen. Persecution like we've never seen before. Can't imagine. Can't describe. And it's okay to be a martyr. God will see us through to eternity and that's what counts. And God's people will be delivered. And the many who are asleep in the dust of the earth, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the shofar of God. And the dead and Messiah will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, those who are asleep in the earth, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Amen? the Lord, that's where he's taking us. That's where the focus is. That's where God wants us to be. And to stay in the middle. Again, it'll be so tempting to want to side with one side or the other and get into political and politics and over the whole thing. And it's good to to, to, vote for someone who's gonna bring gas down under $2 again and and, and close with the border and do all kinds of great things. But we have to see, again, the long picture, it's not a political solution. There's no political person who's gonna help us out. And the king of the north plays all sides. Play the atheistic side, play both sides, play whatever is good at the moment to fulfill its goal. And so we need to stay with the Lord, stay in the middle. Stay between the two thieves. (laughs) Stay with Yeshua. Stay in Calvary. Be crucified with him. Stay among him. Be hated by all sides, and it's okay. Stay with the Lord. Keep our eyes focused on the goal set before us. Proclaim God's word, proclaim God's truth, proclaim God's glory, proclaim God's love. For a spirit of peace, not world peace, it'll never be world peace. He didn't come to bring peace, he came to bring a sword, but to proclaim God's word, peace in our heart, goodwill towards man. Peace, victory over sin, deliverance from the devil and the temptation and the carnal nature, and living boldly for the Lord, and living fully and completely for Him. And He will come, and he, with the brightness of His coming, He will destroy all the wicked. And the sheep and the goats will be separated. God's sheep will be taken up to the barns. The wheat will be taken up to the barns. And the tares, the wheat, will be destroyed and burned up. And God will have his day and destroy it all. And that's what we're looking forward to. And that's what Daniel 11 takes us to. So right now we're living right at the very end. There's not much left to take place. And we're not waiting on the Lord. The Lord is waiting on us. When we get serious totally sanctified, totally transformed, the world will see the gospel lived out in us. And the gospel will quickly go to all the world. Then the winds of strife can be loosed, and the time of trouble can take place. The world war can continue. God will deliver us and destroy this world and raise the dead. That's where we want to look. And so, as we prepare at this time, For God's coming, I'd like to encourage us to be on God's side. Forsake the things of this world. Let the devil have no hold on you in any way, shape, or form to bring you down. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of any area in your life that's not right with God. Surrender all to the Lord. Get fully serious for him. And allow yourself to be used by him. Transformed by him. And witnessing for him. And so let us pray. For God to do his mighty work in us. And through us. So that he can come. Our Lord, our God. Who sees all things. has revealed all this to us. Thousands of years ago. Amazing. Thank you Lord. For showing us the time is at hand. So we can know the times and know the day that we're living in and be prepared and prepare others. So Lord, work in our hearts and minds. Convict us, cleanse us through the blood of Yeshua. Wash us clean of every defilement, everything that's not of heaven. Crucify us and live inside us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Live in us and out of us. And we would be your covenant-keeping people keeping the commandments of God, keeping your commandments, and believing in you, Yeshua, our Messiah. Live in us and through us and use us in spreading the gospel to our world around us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.